Danny, you did a good job, man. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. We love you. <laughs> Let's talk. Danny, you're all right. You're all right with me. All right, let's get into the Word today. We just prayed for it. We're going to talk about the Word proclamation, and um, we're right on time. It's 11.05. I have a goal today. I want to end no later than 11.40, so it gives you still time to have an amazing day. But watch this. This Word proclamation is what I want to talk to you about. And as we start this series, Diary of a Wimpy uh, Christian, you might ask, well, why this series? Why these cards? Why this title? So on and so forth. Well, as we look at this series, I truly believe that one thing we as Christians have become real good at, and maybe I could get some amens for this, is not being very honest about ourselves. And I'm really good at that, and I'm sure some of you have mastered that skill. Some of you have a doctorate in that. We do well in saying things like, amen, hallelujah, God is good. I know, all the time. We do really good with these things, really good. But not so well in being honest. You know, we don't do too well when it comes to saying, uh, Rigo, Rigo, I'm really just struggling. I'm really, I just have too much pride in my life. I, I really don't ever, ever read this Bible. I don't even know where to start. But yet, I've been a Christian for a few years and I don't know. I, I don't know when I last prayed, to be honest with you. I never gave. You just did a whole little shebang about tithing. And that was pretty cool. I like what you did there. It was pretty clever. I bet you some of you thought that, right? It's pretty clever what you did there. But I don't give. I don't know when was the last time I tithe. Well, shame on you, but maybe you're here and you're like, I struggle with faith. I don't believe really much of anything. I'm just a big old mess. We're not too good at, we're not doing so well at really just um, explaining and being honest about ourselves. But if I were to ask you today, hey, how's everyone doing? You'd probably say, Pastor, amen, man. God is good. I can't complain. I am in victory. Some of you will be like, no, that's too much. <laughs> Some of you won't even be able to say that. You'll just be like, everything's good. Thank you. Amen. This is what I want. I want to open up our hearts in the next few weeks. Open our hearts to God's truth. I hope you could do that. I wonder if we could just talk about real things for the next few weeks. Like if we open up the pages of your life, and this book represents your life, and we just start opening up pages of your life, what will it say about you? That's what I want to do in the next few weeks. What will God's truth say about you? Because I truly believe that when you open up the book of your life, there's no hiding it. All truth is going to leak out of those pages. So can we do that? It's scary. Absolutely, it's scary. For the next few and it can be scary. The good thing is I'm not asking you guys to come up here one by one and admitting them in front of the whole church. The most important thing is that you begin to admit them before Jesus and repent before Jesus. Amen? And that's what I want to make sure you guys get to. And it's scary. But it's Everyone say it's scary, but it's needed. It sure is needed. You know, David was actually really good at this. He was actually mastered this because there are two scriptures that I want to share with you. The first one is in Psalm 139. And we're going to read verse 23 and verse 24. Check out David's words. Here he is, and look what he says to God. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Look what he says. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. But now, you think that's, you think that's, watch verse 24. He says, 
point out anything in me that what? Can you imagine telling that to someone? Hey, I know we're friends and all that, but if you see anything wrong with me, just point it out. You know, don't do that if you're not ready for that. Because, like, hey, you know, you do wrong things all the time. All the time. So do I. And this is something that I really don't want to share with anyone. But David's like, point anything out that offends you, that's inside of me. And then he says, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. I want you to see this. David's like, hey, Lord, be honest with me. Rip out things that are deep in my heart that are in the secret there. Reveal it in your light. Show me those things that are wrong. But don't just leave me hanging. Watch this. As I'm just like, look what he says. Place me. Put me on the path. Of everlasting life. Watch this. Don't just deal with me, but make me new. Amen? Lord, as I open up the, the, the pages of my life, don't just show me things and, and deal with me, but, but, but watch this. As you begin to show me, I know you're the only one that has this power to erase and rewrite my story. Amen? Rewrite my story for me. Place me on the path of everlasting life. Uh, the same book of Psalms in chapter 26, verse 2, look what he says. Same words almost. He says, examine me, O Lord. And what does he say next? And prove me. Examine me. I'm going to talk to you real quick what examine means, but give me a second. And prove me. But look what he says next. Try my mind. Try it. And my what? It, I wonder if anyone here, if we could put a camera deep in your heart. And open up all the chambers of your heart and put the big screen on, make it even wider than what it is, stretch it, and call all of Hialeah, Miami Lakes, Kendall, Broward, and bring them to a huge arena. I wonder how many of you are like, I'm cool with that. I want everyone to see what my heart looks like inside, what I think, how I feel, how I act, what's going. How many of you would be like, not me, I ain't showing up that day? <laughs> no way. Here's David, and David's like, no, 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 examine me. Prove me, try my mind and my heart, reveal it, put it on the big screen, man. I love how the NLT says it because the NLT actually uses what the, what the Hebrew phrase means of examine me. And here it is, ready? He says, put me on what? On trial. When you examine me, you put me on trial. You're, you're, you're deliberately just going point after point, picking at me the things that are wrong. Cross-examine me. Test my motives. Test my heart. Hey guys, catch this. David was willing to open up his life. And he was willing to open it up like an open book for everyone. For everyone to read, but most importantly, for God to read and watch this. And he wanted to hear what the Lord, what the Lord had to say about his findings. Lord, not only find it, but show me. Show me what's wrong and transform me. Diary of a wimpy Christian. It's a call, really, not to be wimpy, guys. But I'm going to be very honest with you. In the next few weeks, it's a, it's a call to be bold. It's a call to be filled with courage. It's not for us to be ashamed and condemned, but it's a call to stand up and act out. Amen? And when I talk about courage, nothing in this world could give you courage. Only Jesus Christ can give you that courage to even face fiery darts. Satan's attacks, and people's evil. Amen? Amen? Proclamation. Let's talk about this. We're going to open up the first book, the, um, the first page, and I want to talk about this, 
This one word called proclamation. So what is proclamation? I'm not sure if they have the definition of it, but this is what proclamation is. And it's, hey man, these guys are good. It's a public or official announcement. Check this out. A public official announcement, especially one that is dealing with a matter of great importance. That's what the word proclamation means. And as believers, I want you to catch this, guys. We have an announcement, and it's one that deals with a matter of great importance, right? Don't we? Amen? Right? What we have in us is it's a, it's a very important announcement, great importance. And there are people in our lives, please do not miss this, whose souls and lives are on the line. And, and, and they are depending on our proclamation so that they can live. See, I don't know if you just understood what I just said, but you have people in your day-to-day life Watch this. That are counting on you. You never thought you had the responsibility as a Christian. You just pray. You said, I just pray and let God do the rest. And God's like, no, you just pray and I give you boldness. And with me, we go out and touch the world. (laughs) You see, what happens is we read the Bible wrong. What we do is we fast, we pray, we lock ourselves up in a shelter, and we just expect God to do a miracle somehow, some way. But what we forgot to read is that every single person in the New Testament was praying, yes, was fasting, yes, was filled with the Holy Spirit. But if you look at every single person in the New Testament, it was them that God used to go out and to reach the lost. It wasn't just like, oh God, please do a miracle and send someone. No, God was like, you pray for the miracle and you are being sent to touch them. And, and there are lives and there are souls that are on the line and they're counting on you, on me, to give them life, to give them Jesus, to give them this word. But if we're wimps and if we're locked up in our homes and if we're not in the word of God, and we're not being filled with the Holy Spirit, and we're just this timid individual, and you say, Pastor, that's not my calling. I don't evangelize. (laughs) How are they going to know Jesus? So the word I want to talk to you guys about is proclamation. Make known. You have an official public announcement, and it deals with a great of great importance. And I'm going to tell you this with all honesty. Because there are people's lives and souls in the lines, because of this, there is no room for backing down. New life, there is no room for staying quiet. That was a good point for an amen. Amen. There's no backing down and there's no staying quiet. I want to share something, something of amazement in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Paul is writing this letter. You'll be amazed. I'm I'm just a mess when it comes to the word, but I I love 2 Timothy. I'm going to tell you why I love 2 Timothy. I love 2 Timothy because Paul is imprisoned yet again, and he's in Rome. You know why I love 2 Timothy? Because as you read the pages of 2 Timothy, it's actually Paul's last writings before he dies. This is his last letter. So that's why I like, like when someone says, I'm going to say my last things before I go. Like, I want to hear what are the last things before they take their last breath because I'm sure that if someone was going to say the last things before they die, those last words are going to be one of the most important words that they could ever say because who on their deathbed right before they die is going to say a foolish statement right before they die? Not a wise person. So here is Paul. And Paul, as he's getting ready to write to Timothy, he's imprisoned in Rome again. 
And he feels lonely and he feels abandoned. And Paul recognizes that now his earthly life is coming to an end very soon. So he writes this book of Timothy, the second one. And it's essentially, like I just said, Paul's last words. And look at Paul. He's in prison. He's chained up. He's miserable in Rome. But what I love about Paul as you read 2 Timothy is this, that Paul looks past his own circumstances to express concern for something more than himself. He doesn't write to Timothy and say, Timothy, please pray for me. They're going to put me in the electric chair. They're going to cut my head off. Timothy, pray for me. They're not giving me a healthy meal. Timothy, pray for me. My hands are being cut up from the chains. Instead, Paul says, Timothy, I'm not going to write about me. And watch what he does. He begins to express concern for two things. Here it is. Number one, for the churches. And then number two, especially for young Timothy. Paul's last words were not about himself. Paul's last words were about others. Did you guys just catch that? And, and, and it was about the church that he had planted. And it was about young Timothy who he had planted in that church because Timothy now was a young pastor who was discipled by Paul. And Paul sent Timothy to that area to pastor those churches. And he says, I got to write a letter to Timothy. I got to write a letter to the church. I want them to know the last things in my heart. They need to know this. Young Timothy, my son in the spirit, needs to know this. So he wanted to use those last words to encourage him, to encourage Timothy. To encourage the other believers. And you want to know what he wanted to tell them? This is what he wanted to say. Point number one. There are two things. Number one. Church, Timothy, you need to persevere. And you need to persevere in the faith. Hey, guys, watch this. I'm not lying to you. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Watch what it says. Paul says, Timothy. Everyone say, Timothy. No, no, better yet. Everyone say, dear Timothy. Yeah. I write to you today. No. Oh, okay. You can stop now. But, but dear Timothy, I write to you today to tell you some last words before I die. I'm just filling that in there. And then look what Paul says. He says, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Look at 14. But Timothy, everyone say, but Timothy, watch this. Don't say this. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and which you've been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned from. Knowing from who you have learned them from. Basically, what Paul is telling Timothy is persevere in your faith. Why? Why, church, do I have to persevere? Well, well what's coming to Timothy, huh? Evil men. You ever dealt with some evil men? Okay. Evil women? Men, shh. All right? But Paul's like, Tim, evil men are coming. But they're not just evil. Watch this. They're imposters. Let me tell you what Paul means. Timothy, there are people that are going to go to your church. They're going to serve in your church. You're going to think, wow, thank God that I have them in ministry. But there's going to be a time when you're going to realize that wolves also dress up in sheep's clothing. Like, like you're going to think, wow, what a beautiful sheep I have. They're the first ones and the last ones. They clean, they beam with joy. But, 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 but Timothy, I'm telling you that some of these people that you think are sheep, they're actually evil men. They're imposters. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. Watch this. Be alert. 
watchful, persevere in the faith. Because when they come, they want to destroy your life. So Timothy, evil men, imposters, and guess what? Yes, they're bad, but they're just going to get what? Worse. Imagine reading this, being a Timothy. Oh, my God. I thought he was going to uplift me. He's bringing me down. And then he says this, but, but even though you know all this and they're going to deceive people, even though you know they're going to deceive people, continue, though. Man, when you just stop the Bible and read verse by verse, word by word, he's like, this is going to happen. But though this is going, I, I met with a couple this morning. It's not, it's not if it's going to happen, church. It's when is it going to happen? Marriages, right? You've experienced the when moments? Christians, right? You've experienced the when moments? Not if, but when. And, and Paul's like, Timothy, I'm not giving you ifs. I'm telling you when it happens. Look at verse 14. You must continue. Church, we don't got time for wimps. We're in the last days. We're in the last days. I mean, things are rough, things are tough, things are dark, things are gloomy. <clears throat> social media is a blessing. But I work also in a high school setting, and I see what social media is doing all the way down to the elementary level. It is nasty what is going on. I was like, what? Elementary doing that? Elementary, I was writing girlfriend or boyfriend circle, yes or no, and then that's it. They made my girlfriend. And then the next day I had a new girlfriend, and I circled no. It was a, it's a mess, but now it's weird things with technology. And, and here he is, and he's like, days are bad. People are evil. Imposters are coming. They're getting worse. But I love Paul's next words. But you must continue in what you've been assured in, in what you've learned. No time for wimps. Stay strong. I, I love how I love how the message the message says this. Ready? In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Look what Paul tells Timothy in the same book, chapter right before. He says, Hey Timothy, you proclaim. You proclaim the message. But watch what he says. Watch what he says. Look, 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 look. You proclaim the message, but you proclaim it with what? With intensity. And you keep on your watch. And you challenge, and you warn, and you urge your people, and everyone say with me, don't ever quit. These are Paul. Guys, guys, Paul is dying. Paul is writing his last words. And he's telling Timothy, as you grab your church, you proclaim to the church the message, and you proclaim it with intensity. But as you do that, you have your spiritual eyes on because you got some evil people, you got some imposters, you got some darkness walking in. But in the process of this, you challenge them, you warn them, and you urge your people to what church? Not to ever quit. Don't you ever quit. Don't ever, 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 ever quit. But I've been thinking about it. Well, you need to stop thinking about quitting, church. Because God, God has no time for no wimps. God is, is building up a church. God is, is building up a people. Hey, hey, listen, we're going to come down on horses with fire coming out of our mouth and, and eyes and, and tattoos on his thigh, the king of kings. I want to come on a horse. I want to stand before the nation of Israel and before all the enemies and say, you all want to mess with my Jesus? Bring it. I ain't going to be no whip. I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to go to war. I'm ready to battle someone on some crazy theology. I'm ready to battle someone on some crazy hell stuff. I'm ready to tell the devil I'm not giving up. Hey. I'm ready to tell Satan I'm going to proclaim. I'm ready to tell Satan I'm going to scream it from the rooftops that Jesus is 
Lord, and nothing can stop that. I mean, I mean, here's Paul, and Paul's like, Rico, you're really getting carried. The veins coming, the sweat's dripping. I know, but did you just read that? Proclaim the message with intensity. Scream it, yell it, love it out of you. I'm telling you, Paul was telling him, don't ever quit. Tell your church to never quit. And, and, and Paul could say that. Can I tell you why Paul could say that? Because Paul is dying in prison and he's writing, don't quit. If anyone can say, don't ever quit, is the one man who's about to fall into the electric chair on his last words. You have any last words before we fry? Yes. The church of Jesus Christ, don't you ever quit. Proclaim the message with intensity. Challenge and warn. And you urge your people. Don't ever quit. Hey. And, and then you could almost see this, right? Hit the switch. I'm ready for Jesus. If anyone can tell anyone else, don't ever quit, it's Paul. It's Paul. Because Paul, do you want to know why he's in prison? Because he never, the reason why Paul is in prison is because he never quit. But we have a philosophy of, if I never quit, oh, man, I'm not even going to get into that. I'm going to go off on that. All right, let's keep going. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, Paul says something else real good. He says this, ready? For God has not what, church? He has not given us a spirit of fear. But he's given us one of power and of love and of a sound mind. Did you guys read that? Same book, same person, same church, same Paul to same Timothy. And what is he saying to Timothy? God never gave you fear. He never gave you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, of a sound mind. He, he's like, Timothy, you must understand this. And, and you and I, as we read this scripture, we must understand why Paul wrote this verse. Because, because now in the next two chapters, uh, uh, chapters 2 and 3, you know what Paul is telling Timothy? He's telling them four things. Check this, please. Don't miss this. Ready? He's telling them, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Romans 1, 1, 6, right? 1, 16, right? We know that? All right, praise God, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. So Paul tells him, hey, number one, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Number two, be loyal. Be loyal to the faith. Be loyal to the faith. Number three, be strong. Be strong in what? Be strong in grace. And then number four, he says, and dangerous times and dangerous people are coming. Four points that he makes in Timothy. There they are, just wrapped up right before you. Don't be ashamed. Everyone say, don't be ashamed. Of the gospel, right? Number two, be loyal to the faith. Number three, be strong in the grace. And then number four, dangerous times, dangerous people are coming. And while he's unfolding and unpacking all those points, he tells him to start off. While I'm about to tell you what I'm about to tell you, I'm going to start off like this. Ready? Watch this. Back to that same verse. For God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and the what? Sound mind. So get ready for what I'm about to unpack to you. That's why he starts off like that. He's like, God didn't make you a wimp. Hey, church, God made you bold. He didn't make you a wimp. 
So what is he really telling Timothy here? He's telling Timothy, Tim, don't back down. Don't give up. God has given you power, love, a self-mind. Don't lose control of your mind. Don't ever fear. God gives us courage. God gives us boldness. He does not give us a spirit of fear. And all of God's people say, amen. I'm going to, I can't think of anywhere else to go but Paul and then the early church in Acts. Acts chapter 4 with me. In Acts chapter 4, Something powerful happens here. And I need to give you a summary so you can understand. As we look at Acts 4, if you don't pay attention to me, you're going to get lost with the point that I'm going to make. This is just an introduction to our series, but watch this. Let's summarize what has happened already in the New Testament. Follow with me. The disciples, all they knew of ministry, before we jump into Acts chapter 4, listen. This is what we know so far. The disciples, all they knew of ministry was just hanging out with Jesus. That's all they knew so far. And they witnessed all that he had said and done, especially they put, partook in some of these amazing miracles like the 5,000, the five loaves, two fish. They did some amazing things. That's all they know of ministry. Watch this. Then one day Jesus was arrested and crucified as he had been warning them all along, and they find now themselves without their Jesus, and they're afraid now, and they're hiding, and they're worried that they too would be killed next. And because of the uproar that they caused in Jerusalem, they start to hide in this room, and they're timid, they're scared, because they think, oh my God, they're going to kill us next, they're going to kill us next. And Jesus dies, and they're hiding. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? The guy you love dies, go out and fight back. And they're like, no. And they're hiding in a room, because they think that, the uproar in Jerusalem, they're going to come after them next. They, they didn't have, if you study earlier on in the scripture, you're going to see that they didn't have any sort of seminary training. None of these disciples had seminary training. Why, if you're learning from Jesus himself. But they didn't learn how to preach, what points to make, how to, how to start, how to conclude your services. They didn't learn, this is the exact way, how you need to pray, pray for the sick, pray for this, cast out demons. There was no seminary training of how to, how to plant churches, how to train pastors, etc., etc. They didn't know how to do any of this stuff from themselves. They were just a bunch of young men. Jesus just died, and they're scared with no training. So they now they're all praying in a room, and they're praying with some other believers. And now Jesus promises them of this Holy Spirit that was to come. And it was going to fill everyone, and they're in this room called the upper room. And they're all praying. Really, to be honest with you, all the disciples and all the believers, they're just weak right now. They're really not doing anything. Jesus died for days. You're not really hearing the name of Jesus throughout Jerusalem. Everyone's scared. Like, yo, they killed Jesus. I guess everything's going to be okay now. And everyone thought that Jesus died out and no one was going to ever mention his name again. So one day, the disciples being little chickens that they are, they're in this upper room and they're praying. And as they're praying with some other believers, over a hundred of them, they're all starting to pray, kind of like a group like this. And as they begin to pray, something amazing happens, something very powerful. The Holy Spirit comes down and fills every single person in the upper room, and which is what we call the day of Pentecost. Okay? I'm just doing a quick summary. And at that very moment, as you read the text, it shows us that Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, but he's filled with such power and boldness that he stands among thousands of people and he begins to preach and he begins to proclaim the same message as John the Baptist and even as Jesus, his Savior, teacher, mentor. And that was what? Repent and be baptized. 
Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And as he begins to preach to 3,000 people who thought he was drunk, because he's filled with the Spirit and he's not walking like this, he's speaking in other tongues, and everyone's like, how the heck did you know that language? And as he's speaking in these new tongues, and as he's speaking to thousands of people, something amazing happens. He begins to proclaim the gospel of Jesus, proclaim repentance, proclaim the kingdom of God, proclaim baptism, and something supernatural happens that has never taken place and eventually takes place. And here it is. 3,000 people are convicted by Peter's sermon. They get saved, and all of them get baptized. We baptized 12 people, and it took forever. 3,000 people. 3,000. So now guess what happens? The disciples have to do something because they need to now bring order because everything is growing. The church begins to grow. New people are added to the faith. There are more believers in Christ. They need to plant churches now. They need to put pastors in positions. They need to build church structure and leadership. Have you ever thought about this in Acts? Poor disciples. They had it rough. How do we build church? How do I put a pastor in position? What's the eldership look like? How do I run a church service? They had to do all this for the first time ever. In Jerusalem, as the Christians are growing, it's getting worried. Listen, there's a group called the Sanhedrin. makes up about 70 of the most powerful men in Jerusalem. It makes up the greatest Pharisees and the greatest Sadducees. They make up this group called the Sanhedrin. And they want to do away with these rebels called Christians of the way. Because they're stirring this gospel of Jesus among their people. And this is what's really going on as we jump into four. And I'm going to wrap this up real quick once we jump into four. Watch this. The Sanhedrin knows that if they don't do away with these Christians, that the man who is ruling in Rome by the name of Caesar was going to come after the Sanhedrin and shut it down. Basically, if we don't control Jerusalem, Caesar's going to come over here and he's going to destroy us. He's going to kill us. Hey, you think that's a big problem? I think so. So they're all worried. we got to do away because Caesar hears about this. So they're really not concerned about their rules and their religious traditions. They're more worried for their lives at this point because Caesar was going to kill them. So now you have people like Peter. This is where we pick up in Acts 4. And you have people like Peter and John, and they're doing crazy things. Everyone say crazy things. Yeah, we might talk about the supernatural stuff this, in a few weeks, but get ready for that one. Hopefully you all stay after that message, but watch this. They begin to preach Jesus Christ to everyone who would hear. They begin to lay hands on cripple, and the cripple begin to get healed. The lame begin to walk again. And that just happens in John 3. They're walking. This man who's been crippled, he's now like 40 years old. They pray for him, and the dude resurrects, and he runs into the temple, and he begins to jump and scream and worship. And everyone from the Sanhedrin are looking at him and says, wasn't this the same man that is begging at the gate of the church? Why is he in here dancing? And Peter and John and say, oh, did you all just see what Jesus just did? And they're all worried because they mentioned Jesus again, and now Jesus' name is healing people. And they're freaking out. Amen for that. And they're freaking out. So, so the Sanhedrin grab Peter and John and they arrest them. And now we follow up in chapter 4. And look at this in John in Acts chapter 4. Watch this. In verse 1 it says, Now as they spoke to the people and the captains of the temple, the Sadducees, came upon Peter and John. Verse 2. It says, Being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and they preached in what? In Jesus' name. 
They preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, and they laid hands on them. Let me tell you what laid hands on them means. They arrested Peter and John, and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Verse 4, however, everyone say however. I love that my Bible has howevers. Many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came out to be about 5,000. You know how many Christians there are right now in Jerusalem in just one day? 8,000 Christians. Just like that. The Holy Spirit falls, they preach, 3,000 get saved. They get arrested, you want to arrest me? They begin to preach Jesus in being, being arrested, and 5,000 more get saved. Come on, bring it. There's no time to be a wimp. Put more chains on me, because the more chains, the more believers in to come to know Jesus. And, and they're all excited. And they're filled with boldness. They get arrested for proclaiming. Everyone say proclaiming. They get arrested for proclaiming Christ. And they're being held in custody. And as they proclaim Christ, the result is 5,000 5, get saved. Then we go to five, chapters 5, verse 12. And guess what happens in chapter 5, verse 12? They're in custody. They're in this little mini trial. And as they're in this little mini trial, Peter and John are standing in front of one of the most powerful leaders of Jerusalem of that day. And this is what it says. It says that Peter being, everyone say this with me, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Say that. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, we're going to talk about some stuff in about five minutes. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. It says this. And he begins to preach Jesus. And all I'm going to read to you is verse 12. And he says this. There is no other salvation in any other. For there's no other name under heaven given among men which one will be saved. And he's declaring in trial that Jesus is their salvation. <laughs> Guys, this is huge. Because they're in trial. You need to shut up, Peter and John. I ain't shutting up. I ain't shutting up. Because I'm no wimp. As long as I have breath, as long as I have a heartbeat, I will proclaim. What do you mean proclaim? Well, well, what I mean by proclaiming is back to what it means. I will make a public official announcement because I have something in my bones that's of great importance. And I got to say it. And then we go on and we keep reading now. And as we keep reading, you look at verse 13 through 22 in chapter 4. In chapter 13 through verse 22, look at 13. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John... I love this because they begin to put them on trial. And as they put them on trial, Peter and John don't shut up. They're like, Jesus, 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 Jesus healed them. Jesus did this. Jesus, the one whom you crucified, resurrected. And they're like, shut up with your Jesus. And they're like, the more you tell me to shut up, the more I'm going to preach his name. And they're arrested in chains. And they're like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And in the process of them proclaiming Jesus, they're like, we got to let them go. Because we have no evidence to keep them in. Because we know the man for 40 years who has been lame at the gate and he's been begging for money and we saw him jumping and we see that he's healed now. So there is evidence and there is proof that he's healed. How can we say that this is false when this man just got healed? So out of ignorance, not because they believed, but because they didn't want to cause more of a stirring with the believers. They say, get out of here. But you know what they do? I'm going to end real soon. They end it by saying this. As you leave, don't you ever mention the name of Jesus again. Hey, what do you guys think Peter and John did? <laughs> Look at verse 31. 
How can I? Oh, no. I hear when that happens. Look at verse 20. For we cannot but speak the things which we have what? Which we have seen and heard. You're telling me to stop talking about Jesus, but I can't stop it. They get let go. They return to the believers. Now in verses 23 through 31, if you keep reading, they go home and they're like, hey, they're like, Peter, John, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be arrested. And, and as they say, yeah, I'm, I'm supposed to be arrested. Um, yes, I am. But, but guess what? We went to trial. And as we went to trial, they stood before me. And Peter and John said, but they couldn't find no fault. We, we continue to preach Jesus, so they let us go. Really, what happened next? This is verse 13 through 22. They're like, well, we didn't shut up. We kept preaching Jesus. And we said, well, if we, let go, if we were let go and you're telling us to stop preaching Jesus, we can't but stop speaking of the name of the one who has taught us and has done these great miracles and his name is Jesus and they're walking out and they're preaching Jesus to the Sanhedrin they're like just shut up and get out of here and then they run to the believers homes it's like all oh, this just happened and guess what they do in verses 13 through 22 they begin to sing songs they begin to worship and glorify his name and then what wows me to death look at what happens in John chapter um, Acts chapter 4 in verse 23 they begin to pray for boldness because you know what? All the other disciples say this. If they just arrested Peter and John, they could come into our homes and what? Arrest us. And they begin to worship. And this is where I want to make my point. Look at verse 31. Look at verse 31. They're praying for boldness. They're rejoicing with Peter and John. And it says, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together began to shake. And they were all Yeah, this is what churches stop talking about today. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it says this, they spoke the word of God with what? Oh my God, can I just share some things with you for a second? I'm going to share some things with you. I made some points here, and I don't want to make sure that I don't forget them, so I'm going to bring. But here's this bucket, and here's this sponge. And the Bible says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask Daniel to come up as I get ready to close. I'm going to ask Tito to come up. And as they begin to pray for boldness, verse 31 says they were filled with the Spirit, and they began to proclaim Jesus Christ, the gospel, in boldness. I, I need you to see this because I have two sponges here. I got one which is wet and one which is dry. You know why one is wet. Because what? It's leaking water. And if I were to squeeze it, more water would come out. I'll prove it to you. We know very well that this one's dry because nothing's coming out of this one. But the one that is wet, if you squeeze it a little bit more, you might still get some more water to come out and more water to come out and more water to come out. And here were the early Christians, and they're in this place, and they begin to pray for boldness and being filled with the Holy Spirit. They're being pressed. They're being persecuted. Caesar is crushing down on the Christians. The Sanhedrin is crushing down on Christians. 
So they begin to pray for boldness because God, tough days are coming. Just like Paul told Timothy, evil men are coming, rough times are coming. So Lord, I pray for boldness. And I know that the only way I could be bold is if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Because verse 31 says that they were not bold just because they believed. Because the Bible says that that demons believe and they tremble. And that doesn't sound bold to me. A bunch of demons trembling sounds like a bunch of punks to me. Can I say that in church? I could care. I could give three flips about what demon might hear me today. But if they tremble under the name of Jesus, then bring it on. Because while you tremble under the name of Jesus, I get bold in the name of Jesus. And, and Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, be strong. Continue what I've taught you. Rough times, difficult moments, difficult people are coming. And here they are in Acts, and they're like, difficult times have come. Oh my gosh, are we being pressed? So Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit because I want to be bold. And I know that once I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and then I know that I'm bold, that I know I'm going to proclaim the way you've called me to proclaim. Church, listen, you will never be able to proclaim if first off you're not bold and you'll never be bold if you're not filled with the Spirit because there's an order to God. You need to be filled with the Spirit so that He can make you bold, so that He can cause you to proclaim. My God. Imagine saying that you are a Christian. I'm a Christian. And there's a thirsty soul. And it has come to you. And they're in desperate need for water, for life. And they're counting on you to proclaim it to them. And when you are squeezed and you say, I need life. And and here's this person that's addicted, that's cracked out, that's on drugs, that's having sex with everyone and their mothers. And they're lost and they need help. And they're depressed and they're miserable. Misery. There's some that are about to commit suicide. And they come up to you, Mr. Christian. You bold Christian in in the faith. You bold Christian for Jesus. Ooh, man and woman of God. I need some life. Share with me. Proclaim to me how it is that you changed. Proclaim to me what happened to you in those waters. Proclaim to me what was that baptism. Proclaim to me what was that church stuff that I went to that day with you. Proclaim to you how can I have my soul is thirsty, my land is dry, and I need a miracle. And they come up to Mr. Christian. The church is filled with these sponges. We're Christians. We're all going to heaven. But there's no life. There's no filling. There's no proclamation in the Christian. Imagine being the Christian. Imagine this. But when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, and you are squeezed when you're called on to proclaim man you have something that is ready something that is ready to offer I'm a Christian not just because I say it but I've been filled with the Holy Spirit that has given me boldness and as they give me boldness I'm looking for 
a Christian where I could just come to and they in me and they could proclaim and then they could feel me because I'm dry and I need it and I'm dry in here and I'm dying I'm stuck in lust I'm stuck in misery I'm about to blow my brains I'm about to leave my wife I'm about to leave my husband and I work among Christians and I worship among Christians and I wear the dog tag that says I'm a Christian and I carry the card that pastor gave me that says I'm no whip because I'm a Christian but I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so when I'm squeezed when I'm squeezed when I'm pressured what comes out of me is nothing that I have to offer or is it what comes out of me is I have so much to offer I have water to the soul, to the thirsty soul, water to the dry land. I have people that can meet Jesus. I just need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Imagine being a Christian and being this individual. You're filled with the Holy Spirit, then it's making you bold. And it makes you bold so you could bring forth a proclamation that can save a soul from death and from hell's fires. Church, there's no time to be wimpy. What does your diary say today? Open up that page. Come on, open up your book. I promise if we had church on concrete, I will start throwing water at some of you, but I'm not going to do that. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be bold. Begin to pour out. Like, like, come on, come on. You really satisfied with this? That's how most of us are. Most of us are like that. Who wants this in their lives? No, I want to be like Acts. I want to be like Paul. I want to be like Timothy. That when I'm squeezed by life's troubles, what comes out of me is life, life in abundance. I want to fill the dryness. I want to fill the miserable. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Listen to what Andy Stanley said. Andy Stanley says it like this. Past boldness is no assurance for future boldness listen if you're standing here today and you're saying hey I was once bold past boldness does not assure future boldness but listen boldness demands continual reliance on God's spirit and Stanley hit it And today I come before the presence of God and I close off this service. I say, Lord, I'm done with my life. I want to start proclaiming. I have a message of great importance. But I'm so wimpy, I can never declare it with my life and with my words. And the only way that I can do it, according to Acts 4, according to Timothy and 2 Timothy, it's if I'm filled with the Spirit. 
And if I'm filled with the Spirit, then I'll be made bold. And when I'm made bold, then I'm able to pour into others and proclaim the gospel. That's what I want you to do. If that's you right now, every eye closed, if that's you, can you say, that's me? If you want to raise your hand, raise your hand with me and say, I want to be filled with the Spirit. And today, this is what I want you to do. Say, Lord, as we worship and as we pray for a few minutes here, I want to be filled with the Spirit. Hey, hey, if you, if you, if you are moved with the gifts, go ahead and, and begin to, to pour out in the gifts and, and begin to cry out. But, but I want no one here to be shut. I want no one here just to be quiet. I want no one here to say, well, I'm scared. Should I really cry this out? If you, if you need to cry, cry. If you got to scream, scream. Hey, hey, man, whatever it is, just, just let it out and let it pour out and say, Lord, fill me with the Spirit as I worship. Lord, I, 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 and maybe you were baptized in water yesterday, but today I'm like, Lord, I want to be baptized in the Spirit. I want to be filled in the Spirit. I want that what comes out of me is life. I want boldness in me. I want joy. I want happiness. I want that the power of God is dwelling in me. That when I'm pressed, when I'm pressed, I could give up. Oh, when I'm struggling, I still have life. So if that's you, and you need the Holy Spirit to fill you because you know God's called you to proclaim but yet there's no boldness say Lord I want to live that life fill me, fill me, fill me, fill me begin to cry it begin let it go you and God right now don't hold back no time for whips no time to be scared no time to think about what's going to happen tomorrow what are people going to say about you who cares Say, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Let me speak. Let me prophesy and speak in tongues. Let me see visions. Let me see dreams. Let me interpret. Fill me. Fill me. Fill me. Fill me. Let's go, church. Yes, Lord. All creation, nothing. Praise to the King of Kings. You are my The Lord God Almighty was and is and is to come. Yeah, with all creation, I sing praise to the King of Peace. You are my everything, and I will enjoy you.
Blessing and honor, strength and glory. 